Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden and natural world. I'm your host, Misty Little. Today's guest is Michelle Lay, a native plant gardener in Austin, Texas. Michelle and I have been Instagram acquaintances and friends for over the last few years, and I've enjoyed seeing her Central Texas native plant garden evolve. Michelle has the same passion for conservation and protection of the environment that I do. We talk a lot about that in our conversation. We chat about native plants, the Native Plant Society of Texas, the sadness that comes with seeing our open spaces bulldoze for development, and Michelle's own recent experiences rescuing plants from a development. We pack a lot into the episode, and there's a lot to learn. Let's hear what Michelle has to say. Thank you for taking time out to chat with me. And uh, like I was saying is that, you know, we've kind of known each other online for a little while now, and it's always nice to talk to people you have a little parasocial relationship with on the internet and um, yeah yeah so maybe you would know just introduce yourself and who you are and where you garden and uh, go from there awesome uh, my name is Michelle Lay I just changed my name my name used to be Michelle Sykes so, so a lot of my friends know me as Michelle Sykes um my Instagram account is false day flower and I garden in Austin, Texas. Um, Our home is kind of right in between where the Edwards Plateau and the Blackland Prairie ecoregions meet. So it's a really fun location um, in South Austin. And yeah, it's really fun. Um, I kind of have a blast gardening here. It's been a learning process. I love to just share wildflowers and pictures of garden flowers online and it's just fun for me. So I just, I love sharing everything and learning everything along the way. Yeah. How long have you been in South Austin? Let's see. Um, We moved here in 20, early 2019. Um, And for that, I lived just south of the river, kind of by the Burke Creek. Barton Creek Greenbelt in like an apartment. So okay, really even I've lived in South Austin probably since 2017. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah. so were you gardening in that apartment or was it only when you came to this house that you started gardening? No, I tried, I had tried to garden in each of my apartments, but I, I was not very good at remembering to water my potted plants and they just, there was no way that they could survive my neglect yeah <laughs> um, so I tried many times and and just didn't so it wasn't until I had you know actual ground to plant in that I got you know into gardening um but it you know it was really fun I mean when we moved in the house had been a rental house so it had basically no landscaping it was just like builder grade bushes and invasive plants yeah. and really uh you know Bermuda grass, St. Augustine combo lawn, basically, Mm -hmm. is what we had. So um, it's been like a long process of just replacing everything. And yeah, now we garden primarily with all native plants. We still have a few non-native plants in the yard. Um, We still have the Bermuda and the St. Augustine. But, you know, it's just been a really, like, slow process over four years to just kind of transform it little by little. So that's kind of how we've done it. So when you moved in, did you know that you wanted to grow native plants or were you just, I'll grow whatever? Um, I kind of wanted to include native plants. Um, 
I guess I've always liked, been aware of plants since I was younger. Um, so I kind of like was aware somewhat. I mean, I didn't, I had never like gotten really into it as a hobby or anything, but I, I knew which plants belonged in Austin and didn't mm-hmm. for the most part. So I knew I wanted to like take out the ligustrum and the, yeah. you know, and the honeysuckle ground cover that was just, you know, really an eyesore. And so I think our first plan was like 50-50 natives and non-natives about. Um, And so after about the first summer, it was very clear which plants were doing better. Um, So it was like, let's lean into those plants that are working and see if we can kind of slowly, as things die, replace them with a native plant. Right. Okay. kind of like my rule, my, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a rule, but that was kind of like my goal. For myself, it's like, okay, every time a plant dies, I'm going to find a native plant to put in its place. <laughs> <laughs> so is so you're in South Austin and you're on the edge of the two eco-regions. What's your soil like? Is it more limestone or is it more clay or is it kind of a mix? It's uh, roll the dice when you uh, okay. dig the hole. <laughs> you know, I think it's, uh, I would say maybe like 60% of it is clay um like we have one bed that's really dense clay and then like a little sidewalk and then across is really rocky so it's like you'll have like a relatively good idea of what's going to be in that little section but mm-hmm. um yeah we have a couple spots where the limestone is yeah at the surface of the ground and but for the most part i would say at least I don't know, at least eight inches of clay before you start getting to limestone. Okay. Um, just kind of depends on how much erosion happened there. Yeah. <laughs> you can kind of tell by the topography sometimes what can kind of guess what's going to be under. Yeah. And it's probably not too hard to plant small pots, but I imagine like trying to dig a hole for a tree is kind of hard. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, yes, we have experience in that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, since you're pretty new, I mean, newish to native plant gardening, but you've also, like, I think, I don't know, really taken off. Like, I feel like most people who come to native plant gardening have been gardening for like 10, 15 years, and then they finally decide, oh, I'm going to grow native plants. But to me, it's kind of cool to see somebody who's like already knows, like, I'm going to do native plants here. And 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 to start that way, um, did you have anybody that was like inspiring to you to when you were beginning that you were kind of like mimicking or trying to glean information from? Um, you know, honestly, no. In the beginning, I just kind of was doing my own thing. You know, my mom always joked that her garden was a survival of the fittest garden. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I kind of like that was like the gardening mentality I have is like, well, okay, if it doesn't survive, let's try something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of have to be that way in Austin because it can be really hard on plants. The soil can either be really compacted or like really, if you, you know, if you have clay, it can get really dense and hard to get, even get plants planted. So, I mean, you kind of, have, you have to have like a, an element of experimentation right so I mean I think yeah I think I I was really kind of doing my own thing at first um 
And then I got really inspired by the Wildflower Center. We live maybe 15, 20 minutes away from the Wildflower Center. Nice. So, um, you know, I would go there all the time. I took some Zoom classes there in the beginning of the pandemic. That really, I think, really helped me a lot. Like, just learning the basics of maintenance of native plants because some of the stuff you really can't like google it i mean i don't yeah. know you have to ask somebody because yeah. there's no article about this plant um so i think that's like a huge a huge thing is like finding friends that you can ask questions to you know i've met a lot of friends through native plant society austin chapter um i think i joined that in 2020, I want to say, um, started just kind of going to the meetings, but not really very active. And then once I started becoming like more involved, I mean, I would say I, every single time I was just chit-chatting with native plant <laughs> people, I would learn something new and it was like amazing. So I cannot recommend that enough. It's like join your local Nipsot chapter or find some friends that are doing it. Cause like you're going to need advice and you're going to need just ideas. They're just like super helpful. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. I'm just kind of rambling on. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and that's in, in what you said is true is that, you know, the native plant advice you get online, it may not necessarily be for your region or, you know, with Texas, we're so big that you could get native plant advice, but it really might not work for you because of where you live. And so it's definitely helpful to, you know, I think it's awesome that you're like so close to the, the wildflower center. You can just, you know, easily take classes and, you know, just visit, just, just get ideas as well. Um, I want to go back to you were talking about the maintenance of native plants. Like, um, what was some of the things they were talking about to you or in that class about what would what's required to maintain a native plant garden like do you remember any of those specific things you know i think like one of the big takeaways is like i took notes on like which plants you're supposed to cut back partially and which plants you can cut back to the ground like at the end of winter and that is just knowledge that I don't think is anywhere. Like it's not on wildflower.org. And so like certain plants, um, I'm thinking like rock rose, if you cut it all the way to the ground, that might be like too severe for it. Or Damianita, if you cut it all the way back to the ground, like in February, it just may not come back. Hmm. So there's like certain plants you just need to like shape them or like salvia gregii is one of those two. I mean, yeah. You can you can usually cut salvia gregii to the ground, but it looks better if you just like shape it rather than just cut it back to the ground. Um, so I think that was kind of like the key knowledge that I took from that maintenance. Yeah, no, that's that's good stuff because otherwise it's like you just learn by trial and error. Like, I'm gonna cut everything back, and then you realize, oh, I just killed my plant, <laughs> you know, and then you have to go buy a new one and you know, that kind of knowledge saves you having to spend more money on another plant. Yeah. Or like, if you can't find that plant again, you have to wait like three months for it to like come in stock somewhere. Right. <laughs> right. That happens. Yeah. Yeah. Or sometimes even the next year, because for whatever reason, the growers, wholesalers don't, don't have it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So you mentioned a couple plants, but like, 
kind of maybe walk us through a little bit of your garden. Like, what do you have planted? I know it's winter, so <laughs> things are a little <laughs> ragged right now, but like in your typical, it's blooming in early, late spring, early summer. Um, what do you have growing? Oh my gosh, so many things. So um, I'll just visually walk through my front <laughs> yard. So we have, let's see, one, two, three, kind of, you know, one, two, three, four kind of formal beds in the front where we have, you know, there's a limestone edge to it. They're not, um, some of them are like, you know, squared off and some of them are more natural mm -hmm. edge, but we have so many things in there. Um, we have Engelman daisies, um, pyramid bush, which I really like. It's like a South Texas plant and it is always completely covered in bees. Um, we have some inland sea oats next to the gutter. This is kind of like our foundation bed that I'm describing. Yeah. We have plains sleeving, um, purple cone flowers, um, echinacea uh, angustifolia cone flowers, which are doing better. Yeah. <laughs> they're actually locally native. Um, what else do we have in there? A prairie verbena, a wine cup. Oh, I forgot wine cups. Those are always looking really good in the summer. Um, yeah, that's pretty much, that's our foundation bed. Nice. Um, and we used to have two um, softleaf yuccas kind of anchoring it, but we had to take those out because one of them decided it was just going to like flop over and oh, no. like sprawl. <laughs> so we like took it out and then we're like, well, now we're very off balance. So we took out the other one. Okay. Um, we have like a big blank area that we need to figure out this spring kind of what we want to do I think I'm going to put um some native cacti in it um I think I'm going to put a horse crippler and some like of the miniature hedgehog cacti um, yeah instead of something tall I think I, I you know I just kind of think like let's try something weird and see what happens um I could always remove them relatively easily yeah They're, I have I've already bought them. They're like in, they're very small. So we'll see. Nice. Um, yeah. Like our other beds, we have a desert willow in one of them and then a bunch of wildflowers around it. So come spring, we'll have like Monarda, Citriodora, the um, lemon mint. So that's a big hit with the bee. Um, we'll have. Um, Black-eyed Susans, of course, Gaiardia Pulchella will be everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> if you have one, you'll have it forever. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of spring bloomers. Um, and then we have Salvia Gregei in the front. Um, we have a big Siniso in the front that's really fun. It just is amazing how, like, it, it we literally never water it <laughs> it's in completely <laughs> full sun next to the driveway and it is just it's amazing it's it's amazing it's an amazing plant it's been that plant has been there since we moved in that's always been here we didn't plant it yeah yeah I've always wished we, we tried to grow some of those but um we just don't really have the soil conditions and the light um we get a little bit too much shade and and it's obviously just too wet 
<laughs> over here um we tried growing them for a while they kind of got scrawny and we're like okay we gotta take those out and yeah. now we've replaced them with uh wax myrtle which is a much better choice for our region but i definitely love the senesios when uh i go over to central texas and south texas and see them growing they're yeah. so so nice they're really pretty in the wild i think that's they're much prettier in the wild than they are in the landscape yeah um but that's funny that you say wax myrtle because we used to have a couple of wax myrtles and they did not make it. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying the wrong region, both of us. <laughs> yeah, we both made that mistake. <laughs> no, I like the visualization of the um, the desert willow with all the wildflowers underneath. It seems like it's really pretty, like a really good uh, combination. Uh, and I wish in wine cups, I wish. I've not had good luck growing them. And again, probably too moist for me. I could probably try them in my right away where it's a little bit drier, but uh, I, I'm always envious of people who can grow the wine cups because they're so pretty. Yeah, or maybe I have some that are in a pot and they need great. Oh yeah, I could, I could always do that. I forget about growing things in containers. <laughs> I'm trying to limit myself because our patio is getting a little cluttered, so I, I have to say no to more pots. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So is there any native plants that you're like searching for right now that you would like to grow that you, you, you can't find or you're, it's on your list to grow this year? Mm. There's nothing specific that I'm searching for, but there's always things that I see and I'm like, I wish somebody sold this. <laughs> yeah. um, like I was out the other day um, and there was like a hillside just covered in seat muley and it was so beautiful. And I'm like, I've never seen anyone sell seat muley and it would be so beautiful in Austin. Um, so just those types of things that I'm always kind of like looking for something that's different that I'll kind of be like, I'll go to the Nipsaw Plant Hills and just, you know, kind of keep my eye out for something that I've never seen in cultivation before. Yeah. Um, you could always grab some seed heads. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Try them out your on your own. <laughs> Those seeds are so tiny. I would lose. I don't even know if I would like know if I had seeds or not. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. What else? You know, I wish that there were more small bunch grasses in cultivation. Like I always see blue grama, and you know, sometimes little blue stem and the muley grasses, the big muley grasses, you know, yeah, really popular. But I think for like urban and suburban gardens, they're just too big. Um, I feel like side oats grandma would be so nice to have at nurseries and it's super easy to grow. Um, like the smaller, like tall grandma and hairy grandmas would be so cute. So just stuff like that. I always kind of like thinking, oh, I saw that. That would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> <In the front laughs> <yard. laughs> you know? Yeah. It's always those plants that you're like, why isn't anybody growing it? And then it's not even on their radar. Usually when you talk to them, they're like, what? You're like, but no, it's right there. there. It's so pretty. And there's so many like. I think what I learned, I've learned in through like NIPSOP meetings and stuff is there's just so many plants that are probably never going to be in the nursery because they just aren't either they like don't have reliable like seed production or they just are too 
finicky in a pot mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. And it's just never going to be mass produced. Yeah. So that's kind of, I think that's kind of like a bigger issue that it's like, okay, if we're only going to grow, if like the industry is only valuing the plants that can like produce consistent seed quality, then like, what are we missing out on? You know, like what diversity are we missing out on that is like beautiful and people love? Yeah. So I think that's kind of where the Nipsot plant sales kind of fill in, but still it's like, that's not enough. It isn't. It's, it really isn't. And, you know, I've never, I've not been to a native plant society sale, but I've been to other native plant sales and, you know, it does, it fills in some gaps, but, you know, when you keep trying to tell people like you're native plants and we're going to have, you know, a diverse habitat and we're going to have the homegrown national park and all of this, I just, it doesn't seem feasible when you get down to it. Like, okay, you know, it's a beautiful landscape that we've created. It's a 10 times better than, you know, <laughs> a yard full of non-natives, but you know, what are we really actually providing enough diversity for the insects and the other wildlife? Or is it just like a little bit of a band-aid? And, you know, I, you know, those are things I think about probably too much and too deeply. I, too. <laughs> I think about too. Um, and it's like, well, you know, I guess we just do what we can and hope for the best. And, you know, some of it is just beyond us at some point, but I don't, I don't know. It is, it is and it isn't. I think, I mean, yeah. And it's like, it's also like thinking about like nobody lives nobody lives in the same house for like 30 years anymore yeah that's true if you lived on your property for 30 years you probably could for meaningful diversity by the end of you know I don't know 15 years but I mean it's just that's like not feasible anymore in the world I don't know it might be for me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> afford another house in Austin. <laughs> I'm like, I can't, I could never buy my house again because I, you know, bought it 10, 11 years ago. And now, now it's like two or three times what, is, what I bought it for. So yeah, I totally hear you. <laughs> yeah, because people leave and then they get like, all these plants, they're going to rip it out and put some easy landscaping in. So all that effort's just gone. I mean, that's, I mean, that's literally probably a recurring nightmare for me. It's like, I have to move and then someone bulldozes all the plants <laughs> that I put in. Uh, well, my, my dream is like, okay, maybe I could like, I don't know, maybe it's a nature sanctuary. I mean, you know, I, not, you know, you can't really do that in a suburban lot. I'm, and I'm not totally rural or anything, but I do have a little bit more space, but I'm like, yeah, that's still never going to happen. Somebody's going to buy this and... It's just going to, you know, turn into something else. You'll have to let it go. Then. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So maybe, yeah, let's talk about the Native Plant Society a little bit because, you know, I just recently joined the Native Plant Society in Texas and I joined the Florida Native Plant Society last year because I was mostly because I was so interested in the presentations they were giving and I wanted to kind of see what, Texas had to offer and 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 do that and so I, I finally joined there's a closer chapter that just formed recently too so it was easier for me to join in and 
I'm still trying to feel out like what the Texas Native Plant Society is doing, but maybe since you've been involved in the last few years, what do you see is, what is the Native Plant Society offering to gardeners and, and where do you see that they're trying to, to go native plant wise in the next few years or yeah, fill me in a little bit on that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so it's kind of, I mean, I would say it's fairly decentralized and like kind of delegates to each chapter, like what they do locally, which I kind of like because, you know, you can kind of focus on what you want to do in your area. Um, but like for the Austin chapter, we do, of course, like monthly speakers and those meetings are open to the public to anybody who wants to join the Zoom. So you can go to the website and like sign up for the Zoom meeting and anybody can come. Um, what else do we do? Um, native landscaping classes. So they have like a certification program, like level one, two, three, four, I think. I think it's four level, levels total. So that's a big thing. I think kind of their goal with that program is to like get landscaping professionals like direct knowledge of like the local native species. So, you know, each chapter will teach like a level one class at a different time of the year. So like ideally people could come and learn, like people in the Austin area could come to like the Austin chapter or maybe like the Williamson County chapter, which is just, just north. Um, and kind of like learn the basics. Um, so that's kind of the goal of that program. Um, at the state level, they do like some scholarship funds. They do, they fund, they do like a grant for Monarch, Monarch Gardens and they do the Monarch, oh, I forget what it's called, Way Stations. Yeah. Along I-35. Yeah. That's okay. So that was like a big deal that they worked on, um, and then, I'm you know, curious. Kind of I'm curious on the monarch stations. Do you know if they're using tropical milkweed or if they're trying to plant native milkweeds? Oh, no. no, no. Okay. No, I don't think anything anyone from Nipsaw would allow a tropical. Okay. Milkweed. I just want to make sure because I I I see I've I've been trolling iNaturalist the last few days looking at tropical milkweed and it's used a ton in pollinator gardens, even like public facing entities and so i was <laughs> to make sure they weren't doing that either no because i I've, I've chatted with one of the people that that works on the one that's in um i think in bill county a lot and i don't think that they would allow that okay but i mean i don't know i haven't been to them so yeah yeah okay, okay. <laughs> um don't stop i mean that that's a good road trip idea is like go stop at the monarch way stations i mean other, I don't know, but maybe that won't be fun. You're going to be on I-35. Yeah, right. <laughs> dragging along I-35. That might be actually be really unfun. Um, but yeah, and they have a big symposium every year in the fall. So I went to my first one last year. And so that was great. I mean, they had a ton of discussions about exactly the issues that like we've talked about and that I know like you think you said you know you think about a lot of like where are you gonna get seeds like how are we gonna have like appropriate nursery stock and like availability for people um yeah and so that was really interesting that was very like eye-opening because it seems like it is extremely hard for growers to make a living yeah so 
they're kind of put in a position where like, of course they have to, to use the easier growing species because how else are they going to like turn any sort of profit? Right. So, I mean, land is expensive. Everything is expensive. So yeah, that was interesting. And so I think they're really going to make an effort to like support new growers and like passing on that like generational knowledge of like people who've been doing it a really long time and like, you know, what techniques they used and, mm-hmm. you know, that sounded like they were really going to want to support that in the future. So I'm excited about that. Um, yeah. No, that's good to hear. Talking about the growers for a second, you know, I was on a Facebook group and this lady had a really cool sedge and like, I've never heard of that sedge. Let me look it up. And okay, it's a central Texas sedge and it's actually seems like it's fairly uncommon in the wild. But I'm like, okay, where does she get this weird sedge from? I like sedges. I would love to grow more sedges. And she's like, well, unfortunately, I got it from, you know, I guess she's a garden designer. Um, And she got it from a wholesaler in Austin. And so I, I, I ended up looking them up. She didn't tell me exactly, but she gave me enough clues for me to, to Google it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, that's cool. But why, why isn't this available to everybody else? Like, why isn't this showing? And I mean, I'm sure it does show up in, you know, your regular nursery every now and then, but just like, if it's a wholesaler has it, like, why can't, why, why isn't that more available to everybody yeah. else? And why are you holding it back to only, you know, the garden designers or the landscapers and those kind of folks? Like, I think that's a frustrating gap for me, at least that, you know, there may be some stock out there for some of these things, but it's just inaccessible. Yeah. Or there's like so little, if there's, you know, if it's, they can only grow so much of it. Yeah. But- and somebody contracted it out. Like I, they have to fulfill yeah. their wholesale contract and then there's no more left for them to kind yeah. of just sell excess. Yeah. It's like a, yeah. And it's kind of like the the whole thing of like, well, ask your, ask your local nurseries for more natives. It's like, that doesn't work if there's none for them to buy. Right. Right. Wholesale, like they can't, they'll just be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And nod their head and like, like, wait for you to leave yeah you know there's nothing there's not they're not doing anything about that yeah well and half the time I go to my nurseries and it's like a cultivar of 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 a species and you know I'm not against cultivars some cultivars are fine but there's like half the time they're cultivars of like or they're hybrids between a native and a non-native and it's a cool cultivar but they're selling it as a native and I'm like look it up and like this isn't really actually native and what's implications of introducing this into the wild um and i don't know that they necessarily they don't get it or they don't care because again i mean i mean even a nursery like they still gotta make money (laughs) as well and i I, that's like an unfortunate advice you have to give people is like don't really trust the advice you get from your local nursery. I mean, they might be giving you good advice, but they also might just be telling you what you want to hear. So I would always recommend for people to like have their phone, Google the scientific name, just make sure it's actually a native plant. Yes. Um, and, you know, while you're at it, you can like look on wildflower.org and kind of see the soil conditions and, you know, kind of start thinking about like, where could that plant go? Um, 
so that's that's very helpful to politely fact check yes advice that you get (laughs) um same thing applies to like facebook groups like you know sometimes people are very opinionated and yeah you know just take 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 that and Maybe verify that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't get into too many Facebook groups. I usually I've actually pretty been hands off and anti Facebook for the like almost a decade. But a couple years ago I got back on mostly for some groups and uh yeah, it's it's a wild west of, of opinions, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's how I am. I like I have to get on to check like a couple groups and like you know, I like just to be in my neighborhood group just to know what the, what's going on in the neighborhood. So it's like, yeah, I'm a, a check. Go check the groups that I need to check and then get off. off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I'm good. Um, I want to pivot a little bit. You've been doing some plant rescues lately. Maybe you talk a little bit about that because I've it's always been something I've been interested in and in doing. It's just never been convenient for me to do. Um, but what does like a plant rescue entail and, and evolve and why why do people want to rescue plants? Yeah. So this is another great reason to join your local NIPSOP chapter because you'll be on the email newsletter and find out about it. Um, so this has been my first plant rescue that I've participated in, but basically like someone in our chapter got in contact with the developer, um, the owner and developer of this site that is, um, has been basically untouched for like 50 years. So it's a really diverse mix of plants. It's really good habitat. Um, and it's, you know, the land is going to get cleared. They're going to start like, you know, clear cutting all the cedar on February 1st. Mm-hmm. So basically they, we kind of got them to allow us to go onto the site and dig up plants and collect seed, collect whatever we could, like on Thursdays and Sundays at 930. You know, oh, they, wow. like, they like gave us a specific time. They have, you know, it's just like very secure site. They have like a security gate and everything. So like no one can just, no one can get to the site on their own. Um, So basically we're going in, you know, last ditch effort saving plants that transplant whatever you can. Um, get whatever seed you can. Yeah. Um, and it's really... It really is like, you know, a rescue operation. (laughs) Let's see what, what like plants we can get. Um, A lot of them are getting donated to uh, like the preserve system. So um, a lot of them are going to go to a preserve that's pretty close to the site. So it's going to have like the same conditions. Um, A lot of the seed that I'm collecting, I'm going to give to like Austin water um, quality protection lands so that they can add some genetic diversity to their seed mixes that they use. Um, so that's kind of like the goal is to just, yeah, know, rather than be bulldozed and have a driveway put on top of it, let's, <laughs> let's try and save whatever we can. So, then, so do they already come, like, do you, like the bag the baggies for the seeds is already labeled like okay i know what i'm gonna 
harvest and then like the plants you're digging up is there soil already for them put in there or are you just basically digging it up hauling it off and hoping somebody else is going to be potting these up to be transplanted how does that process work um so for the transplants um luckily the site that we're on has a lot of um ash juniper so there's like that really fluffy um What's it called? What do people call it? Like duff or... Yeah. yeah, duff is the right word. I always call it juniper needles, but I know that's the wrong <laughs> term. <laughs> Someone's scratching me for that. Um, yeah, the juniper duff. So you can kind of like, you know, dig up your approximate root ball-ish that you want and then kind of like fill it in really quickly and easily with that, you know, topsoil. Okay. So we're using that um, as our potting medium. And I've been like, there's mosses all over the place. So I've been just like grabbing moss and putting moss on the top, like mulch. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to bring water with you. Cause like, obviously as soon as you transplant a plant, you want to water it in to its pot, which I forgot the first time that I went, I didn't even think about, I would need water. So yeah. Yeah. You have to like bring a few jugs of water in your car. Um, wow. And then for the seeds, um, I've been using like paper lunch sacks and then I just collect the seeds and I just like label them when I get home. Um, you know, it's not, there's not like so many different things that I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> um, maybe like on the, like on the last day, I'll probably just be grabbing everything and I'll probably just put it all in one bag and whatever. It'll just be mixed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but like for those seeds that you are going to donate, you want to like have them labeled and, you know, put the day that they were collected and the location so that they can kind of trace that, yeah. that um, seed if they want to try and, you know, like we can let their biologists do what, if they want to just mix it in or if they want to like grow individual plants from the seed, they can do what they want, you know? Right. 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 So you get the, you take the plants home with you or does somebody else on site take it uh, from the plant society? Yeah, we have like the, um, the like leader of the day will take the donated plants directly. Um, I've taken some, just some home because she has a lot of plants to take <laughs> home. So I've been taking a few home and then I'll, um, you know, when I'm over at, um, like one of the preserve sites doing volunteering, like I'll just take them on that same day. So I'm not having to drive all around town. So yeah, I'm babysitting some on our porch right now that will, uh, eventually get donated. And then some of them, like, you know, you, you can keep, so you're not like these plants are going to get destroyed. So there's not really like an ethical dilemma on taking them. It's, you know, you would never do that if you didn't have landowner permission and if they weren't imminently going to be destroyed. Yeah. But in this case, it's like, you know, if you want to donate them, great. If you want to take some home, take some home, plant them in your yard. Yeah. You know, Cause they're just going to die. <laughs> yeah, otherwise they will literally be underneath a, four million dollar condo so yeah. there you go <laughs> um but yeah I think it's been a really good experience to really like grieve what happens I mean you're like standing there going this is so beautiful and it's gonna be gone forever I mean you're there <laughs> um so yeah I was like 
the first time I went out there, I had to like walk away from the group and like cry for a minute because I was just like, this is so incredibly beautiful. And A, like it's going to be gone forever. It's going to be, you know, private. No one else will ever get to come here except for multimillionaires. And it's like, it's depressing. It's very depressing. So I think it's good to, to kind of feel those feelings and accept it not accept it like I'm not going to do anything but like accept that you are grieving you are sad and like that's normal you know yeah so yeah I I feel I feel you (laughs) I uh (laughs) just the nature of my own job like there was a field site about a year and a half ago I think we did uh some work on and it was a church and then there was like a bunch of land behind it and it wasn't like the best land because it's like next to a highway and whatever but there was like some cool stuff there was some really nice native passion flower and there was a lot of butterflies and it was there was habitat you know and you know now it's a flooring store and the church is gone and all that habitat's gone and i don't you know the flooring store has this huge parking lot and like there's hardly anybody there and i'm just like why <laughs> do we oh need a flooring God. store <laughs> i think about that all the time every time i go to walgreens i'm like there's only five cars in this parking lot at all times can we just tear the rest of the parking lot up <laughs> put some something there yeah it's just i always think about that why why do we have why do we need so much and i mean yeah this is, you can quickly get into an existential crisis of like capitalism and all yeah. of that and spiral downward (laughs) but um but yeah i appreciate that you take the time to like sit there and think like and i mean like you said accept it to accept that you know i'm experiencing the feelings and okay i can be proactive in in these ways and you know do what i can yeah it's better than being to me it's better than being in denial so you know yes yes Yeah, so maybe do you have any advice for people who want to, you know, get started with native plant gardening and, you know, just reaching out and getting more involved in, you know, conservation efforts? Um, I mean, you seem like you did a pretty good start just getting out there and doing it um, on on your own and, and when you got your house. But, you know, maybe somebody's just not sure where to begin. Would you have any advice to give them? Um. Yeah, I mean, I tell this to people a lot, like, if you're not sure where to start, just, like, start with a couple four-inch plants, and you probably have space somewhere, or maybe you have, like, one or two things that you don't really care about and you can replace. Um, It's very very low stakes. (laughs) It's not expensive or shouldn't be expensive. Um, The worst thing that can happen is you don't like it and you need to move the plant or you just chuck it after you know <laughs> after a year if you really just dislike it um you know as long as you don't plant like i don't know canada goldenrod like you know you can get rid of the plant um if you yeah don't, right <laughs> don't, plant, don't plant canada goldenrod unless you're really sure about it um but yeah i think once once you see the impact on a couple of really good pollinator plants I think you will be drawn into it naturally because it is so joyful when you see 
native bees or hummingbirds or whatever it is. I think that's that was one of the things that kind of sparked me in the beginning was I loved seeing hummingbirds every day and I just wanted to do more. And so I just kept going, you know, yeah, um, kind of like just it. Yeah. If you're not sure where to start, like find one or two four inch plants that you think you might like and just experiment um, and then while you're seeing what happens with those, you can re- be researching, reading, um, coming up with the plan, more of a game plan. Um, but you don't have to do it all at once. Um, like nobody knows what they're doing. They're just figuring it out. Um, another really important advice is you have to like slow down your sense of time with native plants because they are not on your schedule, (laughs) they're on their schedule. So there's a lot of native plants that maybe will sit and develop their roots for a year, year and a half before they really start to take off. Um, And that's different. Um, I think everybody has, thanks to social media, like has kind of an instant gratification thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, want, like, we want the project to be checked off our list and we want it to look pretty. And it's very satisfying for it to be that way. But like, this is like a very slow, slow game. <laughs> and you have to kind of like change your sense of urgency. Like you don't have to do everything. It doesn't have to look good right away. Um, not to say like, you shouldn't try and make it look good, but you know, give it some time. Yeah. Give it give it more time than you think. Um yep. I think it'll also make it more enjoyable. Like I don't if it starts to feel like a chore to you, then maybe just do less. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, if it's like not fun, then it's it's like that's the whole that defeats the whole purpose. Yeah. If it's too, if there's too much maintenance going on, find a way to reduce that. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you have any inspiring people or books that you recommend people to, to, to follow online or to read? I really got inspired by a new garden ethic. Um, that book was really hard to read. It's kind of philosophical. It's very different. Um, there's no pictures. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of words, but I think it was a good challenging exercise. It's like one of those books that you have to kind of like reread parts and kind of sit with it. And it's kind of hippy dippy, but it's it's good. It mm-hmm. kind of opens <laughs> your mind and start thinking about like, oh, why am why do I think this way? Or like, why is this this way? So I think that's very inspirational. Um, but I think maybe, I think wild plants are the most inspirational to me. I would say like, just start by like a practice of hiking regularly, maybe. Yes. Um, and like hike the same path, like, you know, a couple times a month. And then you kind of see what changes over time. And you see like the bloom periods and see different textures come out I think that's really that's really fun and inspiring yeah I it's one of the big things I try to tell people I don't I don't know and I don't feel gardeners do enough of it is getting outside and seeing beyond their own garden like 
go see nature, get outside, see what's going on. And, you know, I know it's not always accessible to everybody um, for various reasons, but you don't have to go to like, you know, hiking in Yellowstone. You can go to like your local park or a little county park. And even if you just take up bird watching, I think that's also another way to just get in touch with how everything interacts and, and noticing the changes of, of the seasons and the habitats. Yeah, I think that's really good. It, it's, it's really good advice. And it's, you'll see, you'll like learn new plants that way. If you're, you know, if you're walking, looking for plants or birds or whatever it may be, you'll see new stuff. Oh, yeah. Fun. Well, you mentioned your, your Instagram handle earlier. Um, do you want to reshare that? And then I think you just started a blog and talk a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so my Instagram is false day flower. Um, and then I just started a blog website, um, false day Um, it's going to be probably very similar content, but just, I also, I think I have, um, I think I have a page with my plant list on that links to my plant list and a page that has, um, like books, reference links, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, there's some more stuff on there. Well, thank you, Michelle, for talking with me and sharing a little bit about your garden. You know, I always find it inspirational what you share on Instagram and I always learn something new and, I think there's, and that's the fun thing about Instagram. If you get beyond the algorithm and just think of it that you're just, you know, sharing and learning from each other. There's so many cool people out there, whether they're just, you know, they're sharing insects or plants or fungi. <laughs> it's, it's a cool little world and community of getting to know um, nature. And I definitely learn a lot from what you share too. And uh, I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's so like nice to hear because you don't always like know you're like, I'm just posting pictures of flowers. I don't know if anyone <laughs> really cares. But it's good to know some people are, are into it too. Yes. Yeah. That's it for my conversation with Michelle Lay. Michelle's Instagram page and blog are linked in the show notes for the podcast at thegardenpathpodcast.com. I do hope you'll follow her native plant journey as I'm sure there is something you'll learn from the things Michelle posts. If you've been liking the podcast episodes, consider leaving a five-star rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice. I know that Spotify just recently added ratings. So if you listen there, please consider leaving a rating over there as well. All right. Thanks for listening. And until next time, happy gardening. <laughs>